You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Has everyone survived the snow? You know, when I turned on the news for a little bit yesterday, and I, maybe I should be prefacing by saying, has anyone survived the snow? Because the way they were made, oh my God, if you don't need to go out, stay home. Oh, if I don't need to go out, well, I was planning on taking a nice drive in the country while seven feet of snow was falling. By now, of course, the, you know, this is the Gordon Damer Show, a Thursday edition, final edition as we take you up until 6 o'clock, at which time it is Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. We got a bunch to get into today. We got to get into some, uh, some football, right? Big week. Well, not really a big weekend of football. There is for one team. Uh, the other team, eh, not so much. So we'll do some Giants. We'll do some Jets. We'll do some Knicks today as well. But, of course, I'm bearing the lead. We will unveil the winner of the first ever, and probably last, Regal Tumble, which uh, at least, at, you know, I must have put it up late yesterday because technically there is still time to vote. That's usually not the case. I must have screwed that up yesterday. So we'll get into um, the battle for television supremacy, a a final that uh, is filled with controversy, shocking final. So we'll get to that. But you know what? Let's start with the Knicks. The Knicks? Yeah, why not? Because you know what? It's not going to be very often, no matter what show you're listening to this year, that there's going to be a lot of optimism surrounding the Knicks. The Knicks are going to have another bad season. And it's going to feel like here we go again, before too long, if not immediately. The the negativity surrounding the organization, the negativity surrounding the offseason, the negativity surrounding uh, the team, just in general, is going to be, you know, right there, front and center. But the Knicks went out last night in a preseason game and beat the Cavaliers 100-93. to Big fourth quarter comeback came back from uh, 17 points down. Outscored the Cavs like something like 34-17 in the fourth. Uh, th- it was the Cavs. At least what they told me are the Cavaliers. I have to be honest with you. Not a whole bunch of recognizable names on that list while you're watching the game, when you're looking at the box score. I was looking at the box score. I'm saying, oh, D. Wade? They have Dwayne Wade? Oh, no, that's Dean Wade. That's not, that is not the same thing. Anywho, it does not take a lot for Nick fans to get excited, right? I mean, that kind of is the joke about Nick fans, that they're always, they always think that this guy's going to be better than he is. They always think that some free agent's going to want to sign with them for some reason. It's all, they are a very optimistic group, and God bless them, because they, they deserve something to be optimistic about. So I'm sure after, you know, if you're on Twitter or you have a Nick fan in your life who's sitting there watching preseason games against the Cavaliers, I mean, Louise. Uh, I might, I might want to turn on the snow coverage again, but it does not take a lot for Nick fans to get excited. And I think it was, was it Monday, Tuesday? I quoted uh, Winston Wolf, Mr. Wolf from Pulp Fiction about let's not uh, start patting ourselves in the back just yet. That's not his exact line, but you know what I'm saying? The same rule applies here, but I will say this about the Knicks. And again, I preface this by saying the Knicks are going to be bad this year. They're going to be a bad team. But just because you're bad doesn't mean that there can't be some glimmers of hope along the way. And if you're going to be bad, at least be young. Now, I'm not going to tell you I watched the whole game because, again, I'm not a sadist. I saw bits and pieces. I watched some of the highlights. But 
you know, the Knicks are going to be terrible, but I would rather be terrible all the way with a bunch of young guys who are unproven than just kind of terrible, like an acceptable level of terrible with veteran players and the like. So in terms of what the takeaways were from a preseason game against the Cavaliers, there's not many, and I don't know how much how long of a shelf life any of them will have. I don't know when the Knicks play again, and any positive, positivity could go right out the window, and I'm sure will go out the window at times this year. But, you know, between some of the young guys, I like what I've seen from Obi Toppin. has been pretty much as advertised so far. R.J. Barrett had his moments last night. But I think the two big takeaways from last night, if you're going to have any, in a preseason game against the Cavaliers, uh, Emmanuel quickly looked very, very good with uh, the ball in his hands. So he did not play a lot of point guard at, uh, in college, but it seems like he has that ability. said after the game that just because he didn't do that in college with Kentucky, that it doesn't mean that he can't do that and doesn't have that skill. He looked comfortable. He played some defense. Now, he didn't hit that many shots, but he had some assists. I think he finished with seven assists on the night. So in terms of a young guy, an unproven guy, that's one of the guys I want to find out about this year. I don't really care what Julius Randle does. I don't really care what, you know, at this point what Dennis Smith Jr. does, even though he's not that old. Uh, I want to see the young, unproven guys. And is there anybody, getting back to what my, I want to see from the Knicks this year, discover, develop, and then get ready for the draft. Emmanuel quickly is one of those guys I'm hoping to discover, and I'm hoping that this Knicks coaching staff can kind of develop. And then the other one that you'd have to have a takeaway from was Kevin Knox. Kevin Knox had 16 points last night, 12 in the fourth quarter. And to me, Kevin Knox is probably the number one tipping point for this season. What do I mean by that? Well, look, if R.J. RJ Barrett is number one on my list, right? He's like the one guy. He's the first guy. If I want to see good things out of the list of players, R.J. Barrett to me is still uh, the number one guy. Obi Toppin is probably number two. Mitchell Robinson is right there. Maybe he's 2A or 2B or whatever. But I kind of think, or at least I have an idea of what I would like to see out of those guys, right? If those guys are terrible, well, then there's no hope, right? Like if all three of those guys are really, really bad, there's no hope for the Knicks anytime soon. And there might not be hope for the Knicks anytime soon anyway. But those three guys, you have to hope if you're a Knicks fan that they'll show you something over the course of the year. Again, progress is not always a straight line. Sometimes there's ups, sometimes there's downs, but you're hoping that the overall trend line is pointing in the right direction. But the second D about discovering anything on this roster and then developing it, I guess D, the discover is the first one. Uh, You have to see what you have on this roster, and Kevin Knox looked, has looked for the last couple of years, completely lost, especially last year. I mean, to say that he had 16 points last night, I felt like last year he went weeks without scoring 16 points combined. So I'm not going to get all that worked up about it. But to me, Kevin Knox, who was a guy who, when you drafted him, you knew he was a bit of a project. He's still very young. I think he's still only 21, maybe he's turned 22. He's still very, very young. And I'm not ready to write him off completely just yet. So I'm hoping that over the course of the year, and again, Next time out, Kevin Knox might have five points and look like the guy that he has been pretty much his entire time here outside of that summer. Remember that summer league? Remember when he hit the summer league and, oh, my God, this guy's a superstar. It's been a long time since that summer league. But I think Kevin Knox, and there's a bunch of guys in that, in that mix, right? 
It's almost like the, uh, the land of misfit toys in some ways. Is there anything out of any of them that is going to be even a remotely uh, a piece for the long term? I'm hoping that Kevin, if I had to list the guys outside of the, the, the main ones that you, you have to hope if you're a Nick fan are going to be something, R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, Obi Toppin, uh, you would have to hope that if there's anybody outside, I don't have a lot of hope for uh, Dennis Smith Jr. I don't have a whole lot of hope for uh, Frank Nielakina. I don't have a whole lot of hope for a lot of those guys. Kevin Knox, I don't really have a whole lot of hope for him either. But if, there, if I had to list the guys out of the, the, the you know, dark horses to, to actually contribute in a meaningful way long term, I would like to think that Kevin Knox certainly far more than he has so far. Now, part of that might be the fact that he's not really contributed much at all so far. 1-800-919-ESPN is the phone number, 1-800-919-3776. So that's there. It's a Gordon Damer show. So you know we're going to have to talk about the Yankees, right? Brian Cashman was on with the uh, K show yesterday. Got into all the different topics uh, about this offseason. He acknowledges about, you know, their interest in uh, DJ LeMayhew has kept with the company line that he is the number one target this offseason. How important it is for the Yankees to get him signed and all the different angles of it, right? Are you worried that things are going to fall through if you're busy looking and, and courting this one guy? What about if it takes a really long time, which it seems like it's a pretty slow developing market? What if you spend all this time, he ends up going somewhere else, and then you end up missing out on other guys that you want? So a lot of conversation about DJ LeMahieu, a lot of conversation about uh, Gary Sanchez as well, some conversation about the budget. You know what? When you look at this Yankee offseason, and we'll hear from Brian Cashman uh, coming up, but when you look at this Yankee offseason, you know what the first thing, at least to me, right? Like I, I, I spend my days uh, looking, not just watching all the old movies and TV shows, but I, I'm looking at the Yankees and, and how they can improve and all this talk about the budget, which seems kind of ludicrous to me. What you realize is how much easier things would be this offseason if the Yankees did not make that trade for Giancarlo Stanton. That trade... And the fact that it's already turned out that he is now essentially a DH that costs you $30 million a year. Things would be so much easier if, that, if there was any way. And when you go through baseball, I, I haven't done the, 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 the legwork on this, but I would think that that's probably the most unmovable contract in the entire sport. You know, there's plenty of, of conversation about Nolan Arenado with the Rockies and the Rockies maybe have interest in moving. He's owed, I think it's $200 million. Anybody would, I mean, who wouldn't trade for Nolan Arenado before Giancarlo Stanton? Even with Arenado's numbers being down last year, at least he can play a defensive position. At least his uh, downward trend line is only one season. At this point, at this point, we were talking uh, after my show yesterday and before uh, DCR yesterday, I was talking with Canty, and I was saying, you know, at this point, Giancarlo Stanton has been more injury prone and missed more time at this point of his Yankee career, than Jacoby Ellsbury. And I went back, and I did do the legwork there. In the first three years of Ellsbury with the Yankees, he played 83% of the time. So far, Stanton has played just over 50% of the time. And again, he's already a DH. He basically makes $30 million a year. And oh yeah, doesn't come off the books until 2028. I mean, you talk about a disaster. That is a real disaster. And think about how much easier everything would be if the Yankees had just simply not made uh, that deal. 
919 ESPN is the telephone number. Let's get a couple of calls in here. Before we get to the regal tumble, let's build the suspense, mainly because uh, it's still apparently, I don't know how this happened. Brian, how did this, I blame you, Brian. Uh, there's still 11 minutes left to vote, so it could still change. I come back and you're ready to start blaming. Do you blame Ray? Look, it's a trend, right? I mean, it can't be my fault. We all know that I'm fantastic. All these people, they've been calling all week to tell me how fantastic I am. I don't know what they've been waiting for. I've been here for four years. Nobody told me I was great until like two weeks ago. All right, let's get some calls in. 1-800-919-ESPN is the phone number. Let's go to Mr. Clark. He is on the Upper West Side. Mr. Clark, very formal. Hey, how you doing, Gordon? I'm good, uh, man. Can you give me a little bit of time? Because yeah, I want to tell you that I your show is... I got all the time a- in the world, buddy. Just get out by six, because I don't have any more time than that. Yo, your show is amazing. I don't know why they took you off on Saturdays, because those guys, Marty and whoever... We need New York flavor. You could have been on from 5 to 7, and then the guys could have been on after that. Your show is great. The Regal Tunnel, all that type of stuff you do is amazing. I okay? appreciate that. And, and another I thing, I called you a couple, two thing. years ago. I called you two years ago about Gary Sanchez, mm-hmm. and I told you he's a bum and he needs to get off the Yankees. Okay. And you called me crazy. You played the Stephen A. clip, get off the weed. Right. Okay. Well, in fairness, can I just uh, say one thing, Mr. Clark? If if there's any clip being dropped, almost certainly that is a producer doing that because generally I don't hit (laughs) clips during my own show. But the the point will remain. I will still say that because two years ago was two years ago. He was really, really bad, though. Uh, Yeah. No, look, I mean, he was was missing. He was missing missing pitches all over the place. And another thing, you and Omar are amazing. I love – I listen Mostly. to this show, and I want Omar to call every day. He's a – you know, you and him he, can he do a is, show for five Look, percent. if we did a regal tumble of callers, uh, I have a soft spot in my heart. Oh, he's number one. He's Omar. winning it. He always he's winning it. it. Yo, you're amazing, man. Yo, good luck. I wake up at 3 o'clock every morning, so I'm not going to listen to you and Larry Hardesty. I don't stay up that late, but – I wish you all the luck. Hopefully your Saturday show comes back on. It and will. don't give that guy an hour. Um, don't give that high school guy an hour because I didn't like listening to uh, high school. Look, uh, Mr. Clark, this you're going to get York. me in trouble by saying something I probably shouldn't say. But uh, thank you, Mr. Clark. And, uh, no, look, uh, There's a lot of things that happen beso- behind the scenes. And here's the main thing. I just don't want to get into trouble by saying something I'm not supposed to say. So I will just say that, yes, I will be on at 10 o'clock with Larry Hardesty. I'm very, very much looking forward to that. And uh, uh, the Saturday show is expected back uh, fairly soon. I don't know when. Uh, I would just simply say follow me on Twitter. I will certainly let you know. And I will be filling in uh, some days at other day parts during uh, the holiday season, right? A lot of people take vacation, including myself. So, uh, and I'm going to have to be out in the snow today with the kids. Oh, my God, I'm not looking forward to this. Going down hills on sleds and everything else. It's all well and good in the moment. But then you wake up the next day, you're like, oh, my God, am I 95 years old? When did I turn 95? Let's go to uh, Jerry in Brooklyn. Jerry. (laughs) Gordon, um, let me say this. Um, By the way, I heard Debbie Duhane say that there was a 20-car pileup. Yes. I can't imagine what would be more fun and getting out of your car and exchanging uh, license plate numbers with 19 other people. Right. And, and try keep to in mind, those 19 who. people are out driving in this weather. So, I, look, you <laughs> yeah. can't find 20 normal people yeah. to begin with. 
Could you imagine some of those, you know, some of the people that you're interacting with that on the Henry Hudson? Oh, my God. Forget it. Yeah. yeah. Listen, I, I tweeted you and I said that uh, I am greatly I'm going to really miss your show. I think you're one of the most entertaining people on radio. And I can't believe how many people responded back to me agreeing. I'll leave it at that. Uh, but I just want you to know I'm really going to miss your show personally. Thank you. In Jimmy. regards to, uh, oh, yeah, I mean, please, it's, uh, you, and don't ever lose your sense of humor because I don't laugh when I get up until I have breakfast, and I haven't had breakfast yet. And when I listen to you, uh, you have me rolling. Um, you know, in regards, very quickly, in regards to a team like the Knicks, I absolutely agree with you. Stick with the plan. Draft the kids. You do need an eye for talent, and then you need to develop that talent because the young free agents today do not want to walk into a barren franchise with no talent around them and then be expected to go all the way and win a championship. No. They will go to a team like the Nets that have a foundation, step in, be the difference, and be like the cherry on the ice cream. Um, I, I, I just think that the Knicks are pursuing uh, a philosophy. I hope they stick with it. And, um, you know, I, I look at a team, Gordon, like the Jets. In the last 10 years, they have three first-round picks on their current roster. And they've drafted early in the Every draft. Year. So that's, that's the most the amazing thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Jerry, and, look, Jerry, thank you and, for the call. Um, and I appreciate the sentiments. I, I appreciate all, I mean, all the support has been absolutely fantastic. You know, you do this show, we're on for one hour, you know, basically in the middle of the night for a lot of people. Uh, and uh, the support, though, that the people, that the, the show, that they enjoyed it and uh, it was part of their lives and they're, they're going to be sad to see it go, uh, has meant a lot. It really has. So uh, thank you for all the uh, over, you know, let's not make it weird. Uh, let's not uh, let's not get overboard. But I, I do appreciate it. Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the, 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 the Jets, I mean, I mean, that's crazy, right? Like the Knicks, even though they've been bad for as long, you know, they're picking eighth, they're picking seventh, they're picking third. You know, they've never had a, a you know, a pick where it's like, you know, the, the NBA draft is not nearly as deep as the NFL draft. And the NFL draft, you're picking, you know, if you're picking five or you're picking six, you're picking that generally every single round. And uh, the Jets, their roster is so barren and just so uh, devoid of, of real talent. Now, there is a coaching issue there, and as I've said a thousand times, the NFL is a coaching league, so whoever you get in there after this uh, fiasco is over is certainly going to be better. The Magic 8-Ball, who's sitting around here somewhere, where is the, hey, Magic 8-Ball, Magic 8-Ball, is it, is it even possible that the Jets could do worse than Adam Gase, Magic 8-Ball? Outlook? Not so good. Yeah, the outlook not so good. Right. So you're saying that uh, the outlook is not good. It's almost impossible, right? You could have the magic eight ball standing on the sideline. You just like a giant magic eight ball where the players like roll it. You know what I mean? Like you know, like one of those giant earth balls. They roll it back and forth. All right, we're gonna we're gonna run the ball. Frank Gore, do it, Frank. So uh, no, look, the Jets are a mess. The Knicks, I think they're a mess too. But at least I have a lot more faith that uh, that that there might be some glimmers of hope in their season moving forward than I do for the Jets. The glimmer of hope, every glimmer of hope when it comes to the Jets is about after the season. Once the coach is fired, once the draft begins, hopefully when you get a new coach. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. Well, look, we can't wait any longer. We have to get to it this segment because it's not like we can do it tomorrow. It is the Regal Tumble. It was the final. And yesterday... 
the battle for television supremacy. Look at that, Brian. He still knows when to hit that music, though. Perfect. Right on cue. The battle for television supremacy. It came down to a pretty good, I would say, a pretty uh, solid final four shows. And it took a long time to find out which show was going to win this. And right now we don't know because I put it up late yesterday. But it was clear very, very quickly which show was not going to last. And the four shows were The Office, Seinfeld, Breaking Bad, and The Sopranos. And while three of those very much belonged, the one that did not, not surprisingly, the one I've said for all has really belonged, The Office. Office very, very quickly, and at last check, what is it at trending at? Uh, 15, 13%. Just 13%. And it had a very strong run. It was one of the first shows. I think it might have been on the very opening day. They got booted. We brought them back. But they are out once again. And this time, it is final. So then it came down to three shows. Seinfeld, The Sopranos, and Breaking Bad. And when I went to bed, I will say this. Right before I went to bed, Brian texted me. The last person I talked to yesterday was Brian. Brian Monkey. Not even my wife. Not my kids, Brian. So uh, he said, I'm going to retweet the poll question one more time on the station account. And at that point, I said, yeah, go, you know, knock yourself out. Who am I to say no? At that point, The Sopranos had a very, very commanding lead. But lo and behold, when I woke up this morning, the first thing I noticed that was Seinfeld, which was the nearest competition, was no longer competition. They had fallen by the wayside and at last check trending at 23%. So then it came down to Breaking Bad and The Sopranos. And without any further ado, the winner. Do we have a drum roll? Yes? It's coming somewhere. Sometime before Keyshawn J. Williams there we go. Drum roll. The winner of the very first Michael Regal Tumble. The battle for television supremacy is... Say my name. Oh, my God. They pull it. Never count out Walter White. If you have watched Breaking Bad, you know there's been plenty of times where the situation seemed impossible, and even the creators of the show would say that they would, they would they'd write themselves into these corners, they'd paint themselves into these corners where they're saying to themselves, how the hell are we going to get out of it? Like, we have a show to do. How are we going to get out of the corner we have painted ourselves into? Well, I don't know how he did it. Obviously, a lot of people overnight uh, voted for, uh, for Walter White and Breaking Bad, but our very first... Regal Tumble Champion, the greatest television show of all time, is Breaking Bad. And look, if The Sopranos had won, it would have been, I think it would have been a fitting champion. I would certainly say if I had to go with the, you know, the top three shows of all time, Breaking Bad for me obviously is number one, but The Sopranos is right there. The Wire is right there. Mad Men, even though you uncultured swines voted it at 6%, that would be right there. But I think that in the end, it took a long time. It took until the wee hours of the morning for you guys to finally come to your senses. But come to your senses, you did. And the very first champion 
of the Regal Tumble is Breaking Bad. And uh, I would say, you know, I think what the difference for me between Breaking Bad and The Sopranos was, The Sopranos obviously is the more revolutionary show. There's no question about that, right? All the anti-heroes and all these shows, Walter White, Don Draper, uh, Stringer Bell, all, you know, all these guys, they, they're bad guys, but you root for them. Tony Soprano was the first one, right? That, that was the, well, maybe not the first one, but certainly at a scale that was greater than all the ones that maybe came before that. The problem with The Sopranos to me was, A, the stories kind of got a little repetitive, right? Like there was always the big bad. Uh, first, the first season it was Uncle Junior, but then it was Richie Aprile, and then it was uh, Ralphie, right? Ralphie Cifaretto, and then it was uh, Phil Leotardo. That kind of felt a little a little repetitive to me. And there were also far more characters on The Sopranos I just didn't care about. I just didn't care about the kid. I got to be honest. Like, unless it was about Tony and the guys or Tony and his, you know, his immediate family, uh, I, I just, you know, there was a lot of story. And you'd have to say there were a lot of stories that didn't go anywhere. You know, Breaking Bad in terms of an entertainment vehicle, they kind of took what The Sopranos did Sopranos more revolutionary, but they kind of perfected it. They kind of perfected it. So for me, for you, for all of us, the first ever regal tumble champion, greatest television show of all time is Breaking Bad. Do we have any of the Breaking Bad clips that we can play right now? You know, you all know exactly who I am. Yes, I am the one who knocks. Yes, there you go. He because you're an insane, degenerate piece of filth, and you deserve to die. Well, I don't know if the voters of the office deserve that. I mean, I, that's a bit strong. But, uh, you know, look, Walter White, you know, he sometimes gets a little ahead of himself. Nothing stops this train. Congratulations to Breaking Bad. They've won the Emmys. They've won all these awards. But most importantly than that, they won the Regal Tumble. And I'm sure they're, if they ever find out about it, they'll be very, very enthused. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM ESPN New York. Coming up, more of your phone calls, 1-800-919-ESPN. We will also get to hear from Brian Cashman. And it's not going to be a Gordon Damer Show without poking some fun at the New York Jets. So we'll do that coming up as well. Who is it you think you see? Do you know how much I make a year? I mean, even if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. Do you know what would happen if I suddenly decided to stop going into work? A business big enough that it could be listed on the NASDAQ goes belly up. Disappears. It ceases to exist without me. No, you clearly don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks Oh, my goodness. So good. And the winner of the first ever Regal Tumble Breaking Bad, the greatest television show of all time. And uh, the results, you can see them on uh, Twitter. And and that's just, you know, to me, that is not even a top five moment. It kind of fits in with the, the moment of inspiration. But, you know, the, the face-off scene with uh, Gus Fring, the end of season three, the, the, the episode one minute with the cousins coming to get... Uh, coming to get hank um the speech of uh, half measures half measures is the one i probably reference the most but the the single greatest moment to me of the entire series is uh the uh, the, it's just a short clip of 
run. You know, that to me, if you weren't enthused by and, and, and clicking on Netflix for the next episode after that, well, then I just don't know what to tell you. But there you go. It is Breaking Bad, the greatest television show of all time. And uh, the Regal Tumble coming to a, a shocking and and really, Brian, you would have to take uh, you would have to take full credit for this, because I don't think if you did not retweet the poll question one five. What time did you retweet it last night? Uh, Ten o'clock, right? It was like nine thirty ish. Nine thirty. Yeah. Whenever I texted you, that's when I retweeted it. Yeah, I mean, we were we were probably at about uh, I'd say probably about twelve hundred votes at that point, maybe a little less. I than think that. we're we at eleven hundred. Eleven hundred. Eleven hundred. Okay, yeah, so yeah. we were close to almost twelve hundred votes, and we finished. Okay. Perked up another, what, 400 votes? Well, that was so great. that's crazy. So, yeah, Breaking Bad, who I think, I don't remember exactly, but I think they were in third place at the time, right? I think they were in the third. The Sopranos definitely was first, and I was like, Seinfeld second? Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I was Seinfeld like very... was pretty, you know, they were pretty far behind the Sopranos, but uh, they were they were in second place, and I don't even remember what Breaking Bad was at. I think, if, from what I remember, Breaking Bad was at 22%, something 22%, like that. 22%, and they finished at 34 so that Which tells you that a lot of the votes that were coming in at that point were all, uh, it was all Breaking Bad. I, you know, and I went through, like, the retweets. I thought that maybe, you know, one of these fan accounts that has a lot more uh, followers than me, Maybe they put it out there somewhere. I don't know, but uh, it was it was definitely a, a, a it was a shock to wake up today, and uh, you know they won by five percent, so that's pretty good, pretty good. All right, one eight hundred nine one nine ESPN is uh, the phone number one eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. Let's get to uh, some Brian Cashman because I promised that, and we have to get to it. Brian Cashman was on with uh, the the Michael K show yesterday, talking about all the various angles. Uh, about the Yankee offseason, which at this point you would have to say the Yankee offseason is all about D.J. LeMahieu, right? Everybody wants him back. The Yankees want him back. He apparently wants to be back, but it's a negotiation. And uh, we'll have to wait and see what ends up happening. So here's Brian Cashman yesterday uh, answering the question, are you hurting your leverage by being so open? Right? Cashman said it. Aaron Boone has said it. Basically, everybody on the team has said they want D.J. LeMahieu back. But are the Yankees hurting their leverage by being so public, saying they want D.J. LeMahieu back? No, I mean, how do you not acknowledge it? You know, when we signed LeMahieu, nobody saw it coming. You know, no one was even asking about it. And you know, clearly the focus was on other free agents and bigger names, and, and that kind of snuck up on our fan base, and everybody was kind of shocked by it. But like last winter when we were going after Garrett Cole, it was obvious. You know, And so just not to state the obvious would be, kind of silly too i don't know how i'd navigate if we're going to be on the phone for 20 minutes or more how do you navigate answering questions about the obvious you know it's not easy so might as well just run to it and just acknowledge it it seems it's a simpler easier way to go about it and everybody knows our fans want him we would like him he'd like to come back you know it just comes down to the dollars and cents and the competition that's involved whoever they might be okay and then brian cashman are you worried that other plans are going to fall through while dj lemayhew decides Oh, no question. I mean, it happens every year. Last year, we were successful in getting in our main primary focus in Garrett Cole. It took a while, and players had come off the board prior, and in some years, we have success. And But then other years, obviously, as we're focused on something, things happen elsewhere, and so those opportunities obviously uh, disappear. And so, yeah, there, there's always those issues. Obviously, if we don't 
sign LeMayhew, then, you know, whatever's available at the time that, you know, a decision gets made by, by DJ and his family. Um, and if it's not with us, which we certainly hope it would be, but if it's not with us, then we'll be, have some more flexibility to, to open things up a little bit. Clearly, if we sign LeMayu, he's our second baseman and Glaber's our shortstop. If we don't sign LeMayu, then we'd be looking for, you know, a middle infielder because Glaber could always swing over to second base. So it could be a shortstop import and Glaber goes to second. But our preference would be to have LeMayu back in the fold and that's where he fits. Okay, so there's Brian Cashman. Uh, look, the Yankee plan, uh, let's wait and see what it actually is. And I do think it has to include DJ LeMayhew. I think everybody is in agreement with that. But so far, it feels like the plan is to just basically bring back the same crew from last. Now, look, I'm sure they'll have some changes, maybe in the bullpen, maybe a starting pitcher. We'll have to see what the contract is for LeMayhew and what else they have to do. But I know I've used this line a thousand times. It kind of feels like the Yankees are taking the milk out of the fridge seeing that it's sour, putting the milk back in the fridge and hoping it's fresh tomorrow. Now, DJ LeMahieu, of course you want him back, but that can't be the end of it. it has to, there has to be more changes to this team who is, again, smack dab in the you know, window of opportunity to win a championship. And it doesn't feel like that they're, you know, if they get DJ LeMahieu, that's going to be the big move, and there's not going to be a whole lot else to do. Uh, and that is not, to me, acceptable enough. Now, there's a lot of uncertainty for the season, like how many games are they going to play? When are they going to play? And I'm wondering whether or not any team is going to go all out, and it, doesn't cer- it certainly doesn't seem like the Yankees are going to go all out to make sure that they give themselves the best chance to win in 2021, whereas it seems much more like they're just looking for what the best long-term play is. Eventually, at some point, you know, Brian Cashman said he doesn't want to win a championship. He wants to win championships. How about we start with one? How about we go with, you know, let's go all in on one and then kind of fig- and reverse engineer it from there, right? All right, 1-800-919-ESPN is the phone number. We'll get a couple more calls in here for a second, but I did have to uh, touch on the Jets. I mean, it w- I mean, think about, we did the Regal Tumble, and we had that every single day here for the last two months. It feels like every single day we've also had the entertainment of looking at the New York Jets. And I said yesterday, the Jets are going to get destroyed by the Rams on Sunday. I mean, just destroyed. They have basically zero chance. Unless Jared Goff is just horrendous. There's no, like, unless the Jets, like, pick off Jared Goff three times in the first half and score touchdowns and just play out of their mind. But there's two things you don't know for why that won't happen. A, I brought this up before. The world revolves around me and... The second part of that is that I, in my fantasy football playoffs, am playing a team that has Jared Goff, and I had the best team all season. And anyone who has ever played fantasy football knows for a fact, if you have the best regular season team, you always lose the first game you play. If you have a bye, you lose the second week. If you don't have a bye, you lose the first. Nobody anywhere ever has won a fantasy football league by being the best team from the start of the season to the end of the regular season. So that's why Jared Goff is going to almost certainly have an amazing game on Sunday. So the New York Post had a story about Adam Gase. And God bless, I mean, God bless. Maybe people don't realize it. What a bear it must be to write this, come up with interesting new angles about a team that does the same thing every single, I mean, they're horrendous. But they did it. They, they came up with another angle. 
and the, uh, now, look, it's probably not the best, but the Post had an article about how Adam Gase made it easier yesterday with his comments for Chris Johnson to fire him. I don't know how that's possible. I mean, how would that be possible? Make it easier to fire him? How much easier do you need it? He's not won a single game this year. The team has been the laughing stock of the sport. The team has overtaken the Knicks as the laughing, t- laughing stock of sports teams in this very town. They're very much in the conversation for worst team in the history of the sport. They have the worst offense in football that features a 37-year-old running back. The quarterback looks like he's never played the sport before. The defense is terrible. The entire team is a mess. There are entire games where it seems like the game came as a surprise to the entire. Oh, we're playing a game today. I'm not ready. I just had a big sandwich. It's, I don't know how much easier it could get. So to say that it makes it easier for Christopher Johnson or Woody Johnson, you, you could have any Johnson, and they would know that they have to fire up Magic Johnson, Walter Johnson, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Lyndon Baines Johnson, former Celtic point guard Dennis Johnson, the big unit Randy Johnson, jazz musician Buck Johnson, NASCAR driver Jimmy Johnson, football coach Jimmy Johnson, Larry Johnson of the Knicks, Larry Johnson, the football guy, Dakota Johnson. Coming up at 6 o'clock, Keyshawn Johnson. Any Johnson knows they don't have to have any conversations. They don't have to have anybody tell us anything. Adam Case is going to get fired. So then I read the article and the line that jumped out to me. Gase is talking about Christopher Johnson's frustration about losing. And he said, quote, I've never seen anger. He's like all of us. Well, look, far be it. I am not a Jet fan. I made that clear. I'm a Dolphin fan. So far be it for me to ever speak on behalf of Jet fans. But I will say this, and I I feel confident in saying this. If he's never been angry, then most definitely he is not like the rest of us. I think the predominant emotion most Jet fans have had over the course of the year, and there's been a lot of them, and at this point, it's just resignation, right? It's probably just depression. But anger certainly has factored in. If you were doing a regal tumble for the emotions of Jet fans, anger would not be the office. Anger would not be the real housewives of uh, wherever. They would not be this is us. It would be, anger would be, Breaking Bad, Sopranos, Seinfeld. By the way, you know, I ran down those lists of all the names, all the famous Johnsons, right? At this point, you would have to say the most famous Johnson is Dwayne The Rock Johnson, right? Would he be more famous than Magic Johnson at this point? I think so, right? Dwayne The Rock Johnson, I mean, he's like the biggest star in, in Hollywood. I mean, he's certainly the, one of the biggest moneymakers in Hollywood. I think that Dwayne The Rock Johnson... I, for a long time, I wondered who the most famous like wrestler was, and I think for a long time it was Hulk Hogan. But Dwayne The Rock Johnson certainly passed him there, and I think now Dwayne The Rock Johnson is the most famous Johnson. All these important questions. What are we going to do with ourselves now that I'm not going to be on? Uh, at least not at this time. All right, let's get to, you know what, before we get the calls, I don't like to, you know, a lot of shows, at the, when their shows are over, they, they thank this person or that person. And to you, the listener, you don't know who these people are. They're, you know, they're people maybe on the show or behind the scenes. I never do that because I don't, I, I, all I ever want to do is just make it entertaining for the listener. 
So, but since this is the last show in this time slot, I do want to say thank you to Debbie Duhame and uh, Brandy Scott, who have filled in on traffic for the, the run of the show, to my first producer, Keith King, to Brian McGee, who is probably the producer of the show the longest, to Ray Santiago, to all the people behind the scenes who have helped put the show on, get the show running. There's a snowstorm. Brian has taken buses and trains and plane trains and automobiles to get here. So we want to thank him as well. Uh, all right, let's get a couple calls in here before we run out of here. It would not be a Gordon Damer show. With, it wouldn't be any show on the station without Spike in Jersey. Spike, quick, my man. Go, quick. Oh, real quick. Stay healthy, and thanks for all the entertainment. And I'll catch you at 10 o'clock. All right, man. Sounds good. Thank you, Spike. Let's go to Craig in Jersey. Craig, go quick, man. How you doing, Gordon? You mentioned about uh, what the fantasy football. I lost the first game of the season. I started Matthew Stafford. I started Patrick Mahomes after that two years ago, and I ran the table for like $6,500. Well, Craig, you are the one guy. I mean, you should consider yourself lucky because that will never – I'll tell I you do. right now, in my entire – and Craig, thanks for the call – in my entire fantasy football career, which I remember buying books, books of fantasy football information, like back in like the 90s, books, actual book, not the internet. The internet didn't exist. It wasn't magazines. Those, they didn't even have those. It was books and doing fantasy football back then. When you have the best team in the regular season, you always lose in the postseason, in the playoffs. So I fully expect that this week. All right, it's going to do it for me. We will see you when we see you. Please follow me on Twitter, on Instagram. And after the first of the year, 10 o'clock, me, Larry Hardesty, will be having some fun. And, of course, after the first of the year, DCR moves to 5 a.m. We'll see you when we see you. And uh, we don't know when that will be, but it will be soon. 98.7 FM, ESPN, New York. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN.